Good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? So those of you that have been with us in our, our series, um, it's been called The Art of Neighboring the last couple weeks. And I know I'm going to give you a sad face. This is the last week of the series. Sad. But here's the thing. What we're doing with Art of Neighboring is something that is just the start right now. Because we're going to give you opportunities next month and then the following months to do something for your neighbors or something to connect with your neighbors. So I'm excited about that. So um, if you have our app, you can click the link at the top of the feed and find our version event. Or if you got a bulletin on the way in, um, you can look at that for sermon notes. Let me pray before we get into the passage. But I'll have a, a couple of questions for you as well. Heavenly Father, we, we come before you and... When we are going to look at your word this morning, God, help us to see ways to be more like Jesus. Help us to see ways to more, do, do more, but be more like Jesus. So when he goes and meets with people that maybe aren't what the religious would say is the best people, help us to be like that. Help us to see our neighbors and see opportunities for them to know and love Jesus. God, help us to be good neighbors. We say all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I've showed this every week, and there was a point this week where Pastor Aaron goes, well, you didn't show one that was filled out. I'm like, okay, I have mine filled out. How many of you have gotten some, of the, some time to fill these out and get all the names? What's interesting is I found slowly, as I, as I went to fill it out, and I filled it out before, as I went to fill it out, I started remembering names that it's like, oh yeah, that's who that is, or that's who that neighbor is. So if you got one on the way in and this is your first week with us, what this is, is these are the eight closest neighbors to where you are, and you're, you're filling it out, you're putting it someplace in your house, so you can pray for them, you can encourage them. And you can find opportunities to reach them. Um, if you start out and you have one person, that's a start. Then you start trying to get to know other people's names. Maybe it's just not waving at people in their yard. It's starting to try to figure out what their name is and figure out more about them um, so that you can serve them as a good neighbor. So any new information? Some of you might have walked your neighborhood. It was kind of cold this week, but um, we always get opportunities to do that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pivot this week. We talked about time last week. This week we're going to talk about fear. And what's our fear? The fear factor that we might have. Because in many ways, neighboring is scarier than going to downtown in a major city or even on a global trip. Because your neighbors, whether you like it or not, are always going to be there. They're not going anywhere. And rarely they move away. And so we get really scared. I'm going to tell you about one of my experiences. My experience when I first moved here, the first time I met my next door neighbor, not even a further down neighbor, they told me that they sued the last person that lived in the house. That really kind of freaked me out, right? We became great neighbors, by the way. So that's kind of funny. That was a bad start, good finish as far as like being neighbors. But we, we really get scared of the people that are going to be right next to us. And that's one of the side effects of this 24-hour news phenomenon Everyone gets news so fast, and we can be suspicious and fearful of people we don't know. So when we turn on the TV, or most of us watch on our phones, 
Um, we see in here all the brokenness in our world, and it shapes our worldview and our view of others. And like the saying goes, good fences make good neighbors. And if you've never heard that, it just communicates that we like our space being our space. That's why we have fences, because we don't want people in our space. We have a tendency to desire safe and clean environments. Anyone that's a parent wants to protect their kids. So when this is lived out, it leads to isolation. And sometimes we forget what we, if we know and love Jesus, and most of us do, what it was like before we believed. And this creates a separation between us and our neighbors. So it's important that we overcome our fear of being around people that we were once like. Let's look at three scripture verses that are really important to understand this. Ephesians 2.12 says, Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's who we were. James 3.2 even adds, For we all stumble in many ways. If any one of you does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to also bridle his whole body. We forget we're in danger. When I read that verse in James, it gives me hope as a pastor. If I say something that that offends someone or someone doesn't understand or whatever it might be, I want to read that verse because I think, you know what? I'm still going to stumble. I'm still going to struggle. And we are still in danger. But... We need to heed the warning to the church in Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. It's so important that we remember this, and I think this this actually encapsulates like the United States. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. There's a warning to a, a rich city in the Middle East that had a church there. Because Jesus has called us to engage in the messiness of relationships. Real relationships are always messy. Think about your family relationships. Think about Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving this year is going to be different, right? That's what everyone says every year. (laughs) It's going to be different. This is going to happen. People have lost someone this year. Or maybe it's different family members year-round. Or some family members don't want to come to Thanksgiving. Or whatever it is. Or maybe you're having Thanksgiving this afternoon. Who knows? It's going to be different. Think about those family relationships because they're messy. And Jesus often made religious people uncomfortable because the people he spent time with. So when was the last time that you were accused of being friends with sketchy people? Just think about it. When was the last time you were accused of being friends with sketchy people? We need to overcome the fear factor and realize that this, those same people need Jesus. So, but, but how do we do that? What does Jesus say when confronted about the people he was spending time with? What does he say here? We're going to see this in Luke chapter 5. It's very, very simple what he says. So Luke chapter 5, you can turn there with me or it'll be up on the screen. Verse 27 through 32. And this is is very important to understand that this is not just in Luke's gospel. This is in multiple gospels. It's just said a little differently because Luke was a physician. So you're going to see that a little bit here. Starting in verse 27, it says, After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi, so that's Jesus, sitting at the the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me! And leaving everything, everything, he rose and followed him. 
And Levi made a great feast in the house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at a table with them. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples. They didn't even go to Jesus. They went to his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick... I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Now, let's just start at what we need to understand if we're talking about tax collectors. Tax collectors were the worst of the worst in that world. If you were a tax collector, you didn't spend time with one. If you, if you weren't one, you didn't spend time with them. If you were one, that's all you spent time with because no one else would accept you. They really only spent time with each other. And tax collectors don't function like the IRS. I'm just going to say that. So no matter what your opinion is of the IRS, tax collectors were worse, okay? The Roman Empire decided to, to collect taxes by tax farming, is what they called it. They assessed a district, a fixed tax, and then they sold the right to collect taxes to the highest bidder. And then that highest bidder could collect whatever they wanted above the assessed tax, and they just kept it. So toll taxes, duties taxes were easy to extort more from people. So really, it was extortion and corruption at the highest level. That's what it was. So when you think of a tax collector in, in our day and age, you may think the same thing, but this is really just like promoted as corruption. So Jews in their teaching considered tax collectors to be robbers. And even Luke chapter 18, so further on in Luke, Luke chapter 18 verse 11, we see a good Jew praying. Look at what they pray. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. God, I thank you that I'm not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I mean, look at that list. Tax collectors were not, not someone that anyone wanted to be. And Matthew 18, 17 makes tax collectors out to be the worst type of outsider. Where it says, if he refuses to listen to them, Tell it to the church. This is about church discipline. And, and he says, if he refuses to listen to even the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and, what? A tax collector. They were so hated that they were kicked out of the synagogues. And, and they weren't even allowed to be witnesses in court because everyone knew they were corrupt. They weren't even allowed to be witnesses in court. So let me ask you this. Put yourself in Jesus' shoes for a second. Who is... You're Levi, the tax collector. Who's that person? The one person that you could never imagine being a Christian. And you just, just, you couldn't ever imagine that they would. Who is that? And that's why it's so shocking here. When Jesus says something as simple as follow me, we need to understand that we don't pick who follows Jesus, he does. And Jesus' call is decisive. He leaves everything and, and goes. Verse 28 says, Levi, Levi's doing this, and he says, and leaving everything, he rose, so he's sitting down, he rose, and he followed him. Jesus even expands this thought and makes it more clear. In Luke chapter 14, verse 33, where it says, so therefore, Jesus is speaking here, if any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. It's so simple. Luke chapter 9, 
23, Jesus said, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Levi is chasing Jesus over anything else. We're going to see what he does. The next verse tells us what his immediate reaction is. And it tells us also that we should use our home, whatever place that is, and resources to share Jesus with our neighbors. Look at this. Levi the tax collector. Hey, that corrupt tax collector has followed Jesus, and the first thing he thinks to do is have a party. We should use our home and our resources to share Jesus with our neighbors. Something you need to know about Levi is Levi can't go back to his job. No one is going to receive him. He, he just made himself an outcast among outcasts. He's the tax collector that no Jew wants to be around. And now he's the Jesus follower that no Jew wants to be around. Think about it. The tax collectors are going, this guy's going cuckoo. There's no way. He's sacrificing his wealthy and political position in society for Jesus. He turns from outsider hated by the good people to an insider following Jesus. And he continued to follow Jesus his entire life. And you say, Pastor John, how do you know that? Well, Levi had another name. And in Matthew 9.9, we find out that Levi was also known as Matthew, the writer of the Gospel of Matthew. Levi, the tax collector, the extorter, that chose when Jesus said, follow me. And it doesn't say he said anything else. He said, follow me. And Matthew got up and said, I want some of that. I don't want anything else. Jesus continues, though, to shock, upset political, social, religious, and cultural norms. He continues to do that. He seeks out disciples that no one else wanted, the ones the religious had under judgment. He saw in Levi, the tax collector, he saw Matthew, the evangelist. When we see sinners, Jesus sees an opportunity for grace. When we've been hurt by someone, God sees an opportunity for redemption and reconciliation. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And in the case of Levi, this calling, it seems negative. Leave everything that you have in the present but it's positive because he's pursuing Jesus with eternal purpose. And God always replaces something that he's, that he's saying, leave, that we're missing, the stuff we're missing, with something greater. Jesus initiates with the rejected and calls those that no one wants, and we should do likewise. The controversy he's creating challenges, who can have the mercy of God? So Matthew here, or Levi, Levi Matthew, takes his call to follow Jesus seriously. He has been given a gift of mercy, and we see his first response there. What is his first response? He does something some of us have never done. Invite all of our sinner friends over. (laughs) That's what he does. He says, hey, I'm going to invite all the tax collectors, because those are the only people I know, and none of them are following Jesus, so I want them to be in my house. Sounds a little crazy. He invited people into his home to meet Jesus. And it says that there was a feast. Let me tell you this. If he left everything he had, this is probably the last feast he's ever going to have. Matthew's like, this is it. 
I'm going to have a party. I'm going to go out with a bang. I'm done. This is it because I'm going to follow Jesus and I don't need any of this tax collector nonsense. And I've extorted people and I don't want to do that anymore. And so he gets in this feast and it says he kind of just wants Jesus to be able to share with everybody. Hey, Jesus, come on. Talk to everybody. And Matthew here, his first response is to use his home and his resources to share Jesus with his friends. He threw this party that everyone wanted to be at. And they saw a changed man. I am sure. (laughs) He wrote one of the four Gospels. I mean, come on. We should use our home and our resources to share Jesus with our neighbors. That's what passionate pursuit of Jesus Christ is. It doesn't matter what they look like, they think like, whatever. You know, when I look at my, my list of neighbors... I look at these, and some of them are saved and know Jesus, and some of them don't know Jesus clearly. Some of them, the moment I tell them what I do for a living, they act different around me. It's weird. But I still want to use my home and my resources to reach my neighbors, to share Jesus with our neighbors. So when you've received a call to follow Jesus, this is simple, and it should be simple. Your soul doesn't want to go to heaven alone. That's the tension we all have around the Thanksgiving table. We have friends and relatives or people that we're in contact with around the holidays that that we want to go to heaven. We want to be with us for all eternity. And Matthew knew that his spiritually needy friends, if they just met Jesus and heard him, they would be moved. He was so moved, all he had to say was, follow me. It was simple. But then we interact with the grumblers. The people could be some of us that grumble and say what are you doing jesus why would you ever do that verse 30 is the first time verse 30 in this passage is the first time the word disciples is used in the entire gospel of luke it's very interesting so he's got disciples now at this point and it says the pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners They didn't go to Jesus. They probably weren't at the party. You ever feel left out? You're like, what's going on over there? You know, there's traffic to some big event. You're like, ooh, I wonder what's going on over there. That's what the Pharisees were like and the scribes. But then they're like, why is Jesus picking these people? And there's a reason they said that. Because when you sit at a table with someone, it was an intimate experience. In the ancient world, it meant you were identifying with them. You were... were, promoting acceptance of them, and it implied that. So the Pharisees avoided sinners and tax collectors, so no one could say that they endorsed them at all. The Pharisees chose to quarantine themselves from sinners, and Jesus chose to let them heal. He restores relationships. He restores their relationship to God, and the church does as well as they come around them, So when we quarantine ourselves from those we call sinners, the Levi's of the world, it can kill the mission of the church. And we lose that heart of mercy that God desires in us. We get focused on the ritual of religion rather than the relationship with Jesus Christ. Hosea 6.6 says, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And Jesus echoed this and adds to it, 
in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, in the Beatitudes, when it says, Beautiful or blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. We cannot forget that we are sinners in needs of need of God's presence. We can't forget that. Ephesians 2 1 tells us you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And we cannot forget that Paul even said he was the worst sinner in the world. We are the worst sinners in our world. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Jesus Christ came to the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Now before you guys all riot and throw donut holes at me, we're the worst. It's just what it is. We are the worst, and it's okay. Take a deep breath. If we are the worst, we can also understand what it's like to be struggling and lost in sin. The danger for us is to think we're the good guy and start criticizing our neighbors. Let me say that again. The danger is for us to consider ourselves the good guy and start criticizing our neighbors. That's heavy. How would you feel if Jesus came in here, criticized all us churchgoers, and all the while he started going to parties with that, that were hosted, not just the parties that we're with, but hosted by sexually immoral people, by drug dealers, or by an extortionist, someone you knew that had unethical business, business principles, how do you feel about that? pretty hard because that's what he does here i mean that's exactly what he does here which is why we should use our home and resources to share jesus with our neighbors that's what levi did his immediate reaction is to say i'm going to use my home and my resources to share jesus with my neighbors and my neighbors his neighbors were not the best of people because that's what the the pharisees were saying we should use our home and resources to share jesus with our neighbors no matter who our neighbors are no matter who they are. Jesus' response to the Pharisees in verse 31 and 32 was really simple. He said, I'm going to go to the people that know they need help. That's what I'm going to do. If you don't know you need help, then I, I can't help you. You ever hear that? And so should we. We should go to those same people. Jesus is calling people who know they're sinners and need help. And so should we. Jesus is calling the people that are willing to leave everything else and pursue him, and so should we. Jesus didn't call those that thought they were already righteous without Jesus, and we shouldn't either. Jesus didn't call those who didn't see their need, and we shouldn't either. Like what? Jesus didn't call those who didn't want help, and we shouldn't either. We need to overcome the fear barrier the fear obstacle that we have in our lives between us and our neighbors. We need to not worry about, as a kid, sin rubbing off on us. I remember my, my mom told me when I was a kid, like, if anyone says any of the words that I've told you are bad, just, you can just walk away, run away. And I thought about it for a second. As a kid, that's probably good because I would just say it not knowing what it is. But as an adult, 
You know, the, the first thing I think is that person still needs Jesus. I, nothing's changed. We can't be worried about what others think if we're serving Jesus in our time with our neighbors. Because, because of one fact, if you hear anything today, Jesus calls all of us, not just some of us, to repentance. All of us. So if we're going to show humility in how we share Jesus with our neighbors, we have to remember what it's like to be lost without hope. If we're going to receive, receive God's message of healing in Jesus, we have to give God direction over, direction over our lives and control. This is where God restores us through Jesus to have a relationship with him. Where we have the privilege of inviting outsiders so I'm going to, I'll use a tax collector term. We have the privilege of inviting sinners, people that have hurt us, that have hurt us terribly, in to the family of God, to be insiders with Jesus. Because repentance means our heart is open to God. Have you ever had a moment at the grocery store where you don't want to talk to someone? If you're honest, everyone in this room is probably at least one. Or they turn the other direction in the aisle, or they see someone and they, you know, avoid them, or something like that. And here's the reality of that. In that moment, you were doing exactly the opposite of what the Holy Spirit's actually telling you to do. <laughs> do hard things. <laughs> Talk to someone. Honestly, it means that we need to be open to what God's telling us to do. If we're willing to give him control to work on us, to make us more like Jesus, we have to remember what he says here. Verses 31 and 32 are great for memorization because we need to remember this every day. Remember this week the words of Jesus when you interact with your neighbors. Verses 31 and 32, where it says, And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I want to make one quick note. He's not saying the Pharisees were righteous. He is saying that the Pharisees thought they were righteous and thought they didn't need help. There's a difference. And I, I'm, gonna, I'm here to, uh, I have a confession to make. I do not like going to the doctor. How many of you, I, I, I really, show of hands, how many of you don't like going to the doctor? Let's be honest. Okay, so like half the people here don't like going to the doctor. I don't go to the doctor unless I'm really sick. Like, I feel like I'm dying sick. Like, my wife is like, why do you go to the doctor about this? I'm like, usually I end up calling Tammy McCoy is what I do. And I say, hey, here's my ailments. I don't want to go to the doctor. <laughs> do I need to go? I, I, I seek out opinions. I'm doing whatever I can to not go to the doctor. Because I don't enjoy sitting in a doctor's office or an ER or urgent care with a bunch of other sick people. I don't like it. It's just not fun. And then the doctor comes in. And, you know, like if, you, if you're, it's not logical to go to the doctor if you're well. There's some people that do that a lot, I guess. I guess it's a thing. But I, I don't understand why you would go to the doctor if you're well. So the doctor comes in and sees you and sees your sickness. They will not prescribe the same remedy for every situation. Right? Have you ever noticed that? Like you could have similar symptoms, but the doctor's going to prescribe you something different based on your health history or whatever it might be. They don't prescribe the same remedy for each person. So as Jesus as the doctor... He comes and tells the fisherman, this is before he, he calls Matthew, he tells Peter, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. But for Matthew here, his prescription was just follow me. Very simple. 
This was the right prescription for Matthew. Jesus is here for those that know they need a Savior. And our responsibility in following Jesus is to show others that they need Jesus too. And so this, this morning, I'm going to specifically repent of something that I've been thinking about all week. I repent of those moments that I didn't follow the Holy Spirit because of how someone looked or acted. The moments that I've acted like a Pharisee and like, who are those people hanging out with? What's going on? Because, because in those moments, we're not pursuing our neighbors. We're not pursuing Jesus Christ. We're caring more about the people around us than our Savior in heaven. God calls us to be salt. Talks about it in the epistles where, where we're supposed to preserve the good in the world, but then also supposed to be light shining God's glory. And as you leave this morning, think of one way that you can use your home or resources to share Jesus with your neighbors. One way. Starts with one thing. Starts with one moment where one Levi comes into your home. You know, I had a moment, this was a while ago, we invited someone over, and I have like chronic bad asthma. In fact, anytime I get sick, it's always like my, my, my chest, uh, lungs, and everything. And we invited someone over, and I think they went to smoke like seven times, like in like an hour. I just never knew, like I'm not around it because I have asthma and it really affects me. And, and I thought to myself, in my mind, I was thinking, do I really want to have them over again? Because they keep going outside and like, I can't really get a conversa- good conversation. And I thought to myself, why am I making that judgment? Because that's where Jesus would be. That's where Jesus would be. With people that maybe are doing something that, you know, I'm really not into or whatever, you know, and it's not a, not a moral thing. It's just, you know, I have asthma, so I don't try to be around it, you know. Invite a neighbor over for dinner. Get to know them well. Make the night about them, not you. Do something for a neighbor you don't know well. You know, when you see something, recently one of my neighbors had a truck with their, their hood was up for like a day, and I, I went over there and I asked, hey, is something wrong with your truck? I'm not a mechanic, so I wasn't, I, I can't really help them much. I was asking them, and there was a problem with their truck, but it was something that, hey, they can go get the part and stuff, and so we talked about that. Be like Jesus. Be a doctor with surgical precision seeking to heal your neighbors with the power found in Jesus Christ. Forget about what you can do. Realize that God is using you and in God's power you can do something. We're going to be giving opportunities over the next few months for you to have an impact in your neighborhood and in our community. Do something that is outside of your norm. Do something different. Ask God this morning, what's the prescription you need? He came, he came to heal the sick. He did not come to take care of the healthy. What prescription do you need? And then ask God the prescription for your neighbors as well. So we, as a church, can overcome that fear factor we have as well. There might be Pharisees in our lives, and we might be those Pharisees, grumbling like, why are you doing this? Or who are you spending time with? In reality, as long as we're pursuing Jesus, that's where we need to be. Helping the people that God's given us 
in our specific spaces and places that we live. So I'm going to pray, and after service uh, or during the last song, you can come forward for prayer. Maybe it's about something about your neighbors. Maybe you had an experience like me, where you moved to a place and all of a sudden your neighbor's like, well, I sued the last neighbor. Or you're struggling with neighbors that you have right now. Well, come forward for prayer and someone can pray with you about that and we can continue to encourage you. And spend time figuring out who your neighbor is. We're going to be talking about this. I'm going to throw this up every couple months and see if you guys got your neighbors. Once we get to everyone having eight, we should just have like some crazy party. That'd be awesome. But um, well, let me pray. Heavenly Father, help us to pursue you like Levi, like Matthew did. We're our pursuit of you. When you say, follow me, we're all in. We say, I'm going to give everything I have up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the little resources I have left for people to reach and, and know and come to know Jesus and love Jesus. God, I'm going to start praying for my neighbors by name because I know their names. They all have an eternal destiny. I I pray, Lord, that you would use us as a church to reach our neighbors with that same eternal destiny and passion and excitement that Levi had. Help us in that to not forget our past, not forget forget our present, but continually pursue and lean on you. Allow your Holy Spirit to guide us in those conversations, those moments, those opportunities for service, as we go through the Christmas season and as we hear about needs, God, let us be a church that meets those needs. God, help us to see what you see when you look at us and you look at our neighbors so that you can reach them with the news that Jesus Christ died for them on a cross for all their sins. And he rose again on the third day so that we could spend eternity with you, God. Help us to be able to share that this week. We say all this in Jesus' name. Amen.